This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. First of all, I want to apologize that it's taken me so long to record this next episode. I've just recently returned from a two-week trip to Uganda, and then I've had a few days of jet lag and trying to get caught up with the various things that have piled up while I've been away from my desk. And today I'm going to be talking a bit about some of the things that happened in Uganda, hopefully glorifying God for the good work that he is doing in the hearts of his people. And I want to share it with you because it's so important for us to give a testimony and testify to the good things that God is doing. Before I get into that, though, I'd like to remind you again, if you'd like to send me a note or have any questions or comments or anything you'd like to share with me, feel free to send me an email at ancientpaths at cantrell.cc. It would be great to hear from you. And I am very much open to any ideas that people have for future episodes. I want to serve you and help you walk in the things that God has for you. I think today, before I really get into talking about um, some of these experiences and things that happened in Uganda, I'll start with a little bit of a context for my thinking about this trip and what God's been speaking to me and how I'm trying to live it out as I have gone and met with pastors in Uganda. I'll tell a little bit more about exactly who I was meeting with in a second. The first reference I'd like to give is an episode that we did a little while ago with Mari Milliken, and the title of that talk is A Pastoral Perspective on Trauma. And if you haven't heard that one, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's really, really good. And I again thank Mari for his insight and for sharing with me and then with all of us because it was so very helpful when I went to Uganda. The next bit of context I'll give is something I've been thinking about, and I'll probably talk about it again a little bit later on. There are two scriptures. One is very familiar in John chapter 3, and the other is from 1 Corinthians So let me just read here some of the words of Jesus. And as you know, in John chapter 3, Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus. And Jesus says in verse 3, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And of course, Nicodemus isn't quite understanding what Jesus means by that. And he says, how can somebody be born again? You can't enter into the mother's womb a second time. And then Jesus in verse 5 says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And here's the scripture that I really want to focus on right now. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now that scripture there in verse 8 can be translated a little bit differently too because there's a bit of a play on words there. 
In the NIV, it says the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. Uh, another translation of that is the spirit moves wherever he pleases. You hear his voice, but you cannot tell where he comes from or where he's going. And so it is for everyone born of the spirit. In either case, I think a part of what Jesus is communicating I don't claim to have full understanding of exactly all that he meant, the depth of his meaning. But I believe he's saying that there is an invisible force, the spirit, which is like the wind, which is invisible. But the wind has a physical effect. You can hear the wind blow. That would be when the wind moves against something else, you hear that sound. So you can't see this invisible force, but it does have a physical effect. It has an outworking in our physical realm. And that's the way it'll be for everyone that's born of the Spirit. There will be an invisible force at work in our lives, and then it will be lived out. It'll have a physical effect in our world. Which leads me then to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you've been listening to my talks, you'll know that I return to this pretty often, and I want to relate what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with what Jesus is quoted as saying in John chapter 3. In verse 1, um, in the NIV it reads, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now I want to say that when I talk about spiritual gifts, I mean whatever gift God gives to his people. And they can be flashy or signs and wonders, or it can be very silent, I guess, unseen but powerful. There is a gift of administration. There's a gift of showing mercy, a gift of serving, a gift of faith. God gives gifts to his people, spiritual gifts. They're spiritual because they come from the Spirit, not from ourselves. And in verse 1, the word gifts is not actually in that sentence in the Greek. In some translations, you'll see the word gifts is in italics, meaning that it's not actually in the language, but it's been put there by the translators to help give some clarity to the meaning. As I said in the NIV, it reads, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. However, the word gifts isn't in that sentence in the Greek, as I said, and it can very well be read, Now about spiritual brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And that helps me. Paul is not talking so much about, ooh, I guess a gift that is somehow outside of us. He's talking about us being spiritual people. And he doesn't want us to be ignorant about what it means to be a spiritual person. A little bit later, he says, there are different kinds of gifts, but it's the same spirit. Amen. There are lots of different kinds of gifts that God can give people, but it all comes through the same Spirit. In verse 7, this is what I want to highlight right now. Paul says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And I highlight this phrase, the manifestation of the Spirit. And I connect this with what Jesus said in John chapter 3 that the Spirit will move wherever it pleases. You can't see it, but you hear it. And this manifestation of the Spirit is what God has for his people. 
that his invisible, powerful spirit is at work inside of his people, and his people will have manifestations, an outworking, a physical expression of that spirit. That is his will for us. Not that we will build ourselves up, but so that we can serve others. That the gift God gives, this manifestation of the Spirit, is given to help everyone around us. Amen. So that was my heart as I was going to Uganda. Just as Paul says when he's writing to the Corinthian church, that he didn't want their faith based on his ability to persuade them, but he wanted their faith to be based on the power of God. And as I went to Uganda, that was very much on my heart. I didn't want to just go in and say things that felt right or seemed right or seemed appropriate. I really wanted to encourage the believers in some way with a manifestation of the Spirit of God so that they would experience his power, his life, the flow of his life in whatever way the Lord wanted that to happen. That was my desire, deep desire for them. So now it's good for me to tell you a little bit more about the circumstances. I think I may have mentioned this in previous talks, but I've been involved with a family of churches, about 15 churches that are based in eastern Congo, and there's one fellowship in western Uganda. They're all along the border there, and the churches are not far from one another, even though they're in different countries. And in that part of Congo, the Democratic Republic of Congo is the country I'm referring to. There are actually two Congos in Africa. And in the Democratic Republic of Congo, in this part of eastern Congo, there's been a tremendous amount of violence. There are Islamic fighters who have been murdering and terrorizing and torturing and doing really, really terrible things to people there. And these churches are based in that area. And the pastors that we met with are pastoring churches right in the middle of the killing fields. I'll tell a few stories here in a little bit. Uh, They're not just at a distance to all of the suffering. They have lived through it, and some church members have not survived it. A pastor and his wife were killed in the churchyard. So it's very much a reality to these churches, to these leaders and the church members in these fellowships in this area. Before I get too far into these other stories, I do want to say that My hope for us is that God will be glorified. I want to share with you what other members of the body of Christ are going through in the world, but let's always keep our hearts open to what God is doing and how he's bringing life into the middle of severe suffering. And I will say that I'm so thankful that God allowed me to speak with Maury about a pastoral perspective on trauma, because just a few weeks later I was speaking with people who have been through tremendous trauma right in the middle of a war zone and have experienced really hard things. So anyway, that's all context. Let me tell a little story about how a spiritual gift can be so helpful. Several years ago, on my first visit to Congo, I participated in a ceremony where we were ordaining ministers to go off and plant churches. And at the time, it was not nearly so violent as it is now in this area. And one of the pastors, Robusta is his name, he and his wife Jeanette were ordained to go up and plant a church. And as we were laying hands on them, 
I had a prophetic word for them, and I'd forgotten this completely, and Robusta was testifying to this when we were there um, recently. And the word that came to Robusta and Jeanette was that they were going to face very severe suffering, but they would not be overcome. That hard things were ahead for them. Very hard things were ahead, but they wouldn't be defeated. They would not be overcome. Now, I spoke that years ago, and I'd forgotten that I had said that. And since then, they have had some very, very, very difficult circumstances, have been in the middle of attacks with the bullets flying around them, uh, people in their village being killed, uh, having to flee in the darkness from the murderers. They've had all kinds of troubles and hardships. And Robusta said that he and his wife would often come back to that prophetic word that was given at the laying on of hands that God had said they were going to have a hard time, but they would not be overcome. That's a really wonderful example of how this prophetic word can encourage and edify people. Robusta and Jeanette were built up. They were strengthened as they remembered what God had promised through that prophetic word. So I say it not because I have any particular role in it or can take any credit. It's all God's work. But it's a wonderful example of how these prophetic words really do carry power, spiritual power, life, the life of God. Even when said uh, peacefully, quietly, when laying on hands and praying, there's a power there. It is, I believe, a manifestation of the Spirit of God. I'll tell a couple of other things that Robusta said. A while ago, he was having trouble getting enough money together to pay for school fees for his children. This is another testimony that he gave while we were there meeting with these Congolese pastors in Uganda. And he said that he had decided that he would go off to the fields to gather bananas and then take them to market and sell them so that he'd have some money for the school fees for his children. And on the morning that he was going to go off and harvest banana, he got a message that money had been sent from America to pay for the school fees for his children and for all of the children of all of the pastors. There are, I think, 15 daughter churches, 15 pastors involved here. Well, that money came through me, but it was not my money. People here in the United States have been donating to support the work in Africa and to support the pastors. And I knew of the need for the school fees, and so I offered to send money over to pay for the school fees. So he was telling me this story because, to him, this money had come, I guess, from me. And I made sure to tell him that it's really not from me. It's from the body of Christ in the United States. And he said he went to town then to pick up the school fees instead of going off to harvest banana. And that very day, in the place where he was going to harvest bananas, many, many, many people were killed. And he said that the school fees that had been sent from the United States had saved his life. Very truly had saved his life. And we could all praise God because God's timing is perfect. And Robusto was saying, Amen, God provided not only the school fees, but he saved me. He saved my life. It's beautiful. When we met the pastors, that very first meeting, well, I'll tell this story. As they were coming from Congo, they had to travel down a road 
that is in the middle of the killing fields. This is uh, pastors and other church leaders, some Bible school students, uh, the wives of some of the wives of the pastors. So they're traveling down this road, and the way that I was told is their car broke down on the road. I don't know if they had multiple cars or exactly what was happening, but a car broke down with a bunch of these believers in it, and the car broke down in exactly the place where two days prior, many, many people had been killed. There were burnt-out cars still in that place. So here they are driving down this road, going to Uganda, and they're right in the middle of the killing fields, and their car breaks down. So they unload, and they just start running for the border. They know that at any time these killers could be anywhere in that area, and here they are on foot, and they make their way to the border. Amen. They were coming out to have fellowship with us. They're coming out because God has called them into this meeting, this gathering. And in order to meet with us, they had to go through very, very dangerous places. Amen. The thing that's remarkable to me and so encouraging and humbling is that after our conference in the safety of Uganda, they all went back down that road and they all went back to their churches and their homes because God has called them to minister in that area. Most of these pastors consider themselves missionaries. They're Congolese, but they're not from the area in which they serve. They're from other safer parts of Congo. But they are called by God into that place to do his work. And in order to come to us and in order to return to their homes, they had to cross through the killing fields, travel very dangerous areas. Amen. It is so humbling. It is just so humbling. The first session that we scheduled was scheduled based on the things that Mari shared when he talked about trauma. We had a five-hour block of time set aside with really no structure to it other than I wanted all of the pastors to sit in a circle or concentric circles because there were so many people and to let the Lord do what he was going to do to give the people time to share their testimonies, to talk about the things that they've been going through, because they all serve in different places. They don't all see each other all the time. And this was a time when they all come together, and they can share their life and their stories. And Mari said that it's really, really important when people are going through trauma to give them an opportunity to just talk through the things they've been through. So that five-hour block, the first part was spent with introductions and greetings. And then we went into a time of sharing and singing and praying together and just letting God do what he was going to do and giving the people the freedom to take their time to share their experiences and to testify of God's goodness. It was really, really a good time to wait on the Lord. Usually these meetings, they have them, these leadership meetings every year in January. Usually it's a series of lectures and training and teaching and reporting. But this year we really felt that it was to be different, particularly in these early sessions where we can just have fellowship before the Lord and let his spirit come in whatever way his spirit wants to come to us. So this is when Robusta was sharing his stories and other people 
told us stories as well. I will tell one. And honestly, I can't tell you everything because um, it's just too horrible. I mean, it really is words. um, I hate to say the words of some of the horrors that these terrorists are committing. But one of the ladies said, and she was four months pregnant, that the killers came into her village. And uh, when the killers come, you have to run. You just can't go grab anything. You just have to leave. So she uh, did take her daughter's hand, and I think the daughter was six or seven years old. And they were fleeing, running away, and this lady said she could hear the bullets whizzing past over her. And she heard one of the killers behind yell, don't kill the little ones, just kill the adults. So she heard that said as she's fleeing with her daughter, holding her daughter's hand. And so she drops to her stomach, and the bullets are, I mean, they're shooting at her. She knows that her daughter's not going to be killed, and so she lets go of her daughter's hand so that she can make better time and escape with her life. And her daughter is calling, Mama, why are you leaving me? Mama. And then when she came back later, after the danger was gone, her daughter was asking her, Mama, why did you leave? Why did you let me go? Well, she knew that they had said they wouldn't kill the little ones. But think of the trauma and the heartache, uh, the things that that family will have to process through. And uh, it's just heartbreaking, really. And yet, this lady and her husband and the other pastors, they are pressing through. They really do know the Lord. And one of the pastors said, this is one of my favorite quotes that came out of this whole thing, when the killers came, the hypocrites left the church. That was perhaps one of the most profound things I heard this whole time. And The pastor said it just in passing. He was stating a fact that when the killers came, the hypocrites left the church. I'll bet they did. (laughs) Those who are not living by the Spirit, those who are not hearing the voice of God and living in obedience, those who are just playing at church, those who are socially Christians or enjoying the experience, they're not going to hang around when death comes close. They're going to flee. Which leads me to another thing that I heard, one of the best things I heard a pastor say. He had come to faith back in the 1990s. He'd been a believer for quite a while. And he was from Kinshasa, which is the capital of Congo, And it's on the far western side of the country. And the place where all this killing is and where these pastors are serving is in the far east. And I guess to give some context for those Americans who know the size of Texas, which is a very large state, Congo is three times the size of Texas and has three times the population. And so he had heard about the killing and all the danger and how troublesome this area was, and he'd always wondered, you know, why is that, and what's that place like? It seems so distant. And then God called him there to pastor a church, to minister the gospel. And he was standing there giving his testimony, and he said that now he's walking down the same roads where all the murders are happening, 
And he said, I am fearless. I have no fear. Death means nothing to me. He said that people need to know the gospel. They need to know Christ. And then he said it again. Death means nothing to me. And I was in awe of his testimony that now he truly, fearlessly walks these roads, knowing at any time his life could be taken in a very brutal and terrible way. And he is fearless because death means nothing to him. Boy, I tell you, oh my, members of the church in the West have so much we can learn from these dear brothers and sisters in Congo. In Hebrews, we're told that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and to set people free who all their lives had been held in bondage by that fear of death. And here I saw a pastor who was no longer under that bondage. Death means nothing to him. Christ is all. It made me reassess again the reality that somebody may take our lives, they may cause our bodies to stop functioning, but they can't kill us. They cannot take us out of the hand of the Lord. And even when our bodies stop functioning, in whatever circumstances those may be, we go to be with the Lord. And it's far better to be there. Amen. The Apostle Paul, when you look through his writings, you can sort of trace a line where he goes from being willing to go and be with the Lord, but wanting to stay. He goes from that to wanting to go and be with the Lord, but he's willing to stay. Amen. I hope that that'll be our attitude, that we really, really want to be with the Lord, but we're willing to stay and give our time here on this earth as long as he has that time appointed for us. I also want to mention that we had quite a bit of prophetic ministry time, and I just want to explain to you what that looks like uh, in this context. We had everyone sit in a circle. All of the pastors were there in a circle, and myself and a couple of other team members just prayed. We went around the circle, each pastor praying for them and asking God, do you have a word of encouragement? Do you have something that'll comfort them or strengthen them, and then we would share in front of the the entire congregation, we would share with each pastor what God put on our heart. And it's all done in peace. It's all done respectfully, quietly. And so often I'll have an image or a scripture will come to mind. The other people that were with me would have scriptures or words of encouragement. But the whole purpose of that time was so that these pastors would experience a manifestation of the life flow of God by his Spirit. That's the purpose. We are not trying to think up good words that would give a false sense of security. We want to bring to them the words that God has for them to edify them, to build them up, to comfort them. And it's not my words, and actually... As I mentioned earlier, a lot of times I'll share something and then I forget completely what it was because I'm just a messenger. I'm a postman. The scriptures say that when one prophet shares, then if another wants to speak, the first one can sit down and everybody should weigh carefully what the prophets say. And that's very, very much what this service is like, this time of meeting. Uh, 
for instance, I might have an image and then I would share what God puts on my heart. And you've heard me do this sort of thing in the series of talks that I call As He Leads. Then I would share, and then the next person would share something. And I'm always very, very, very careful to say to everyone listening, you all have the Spirit of God within you. It is your right and your responsibility to carefully weigh what we're saying. It really is between you and the Lord whether you receive this as a word from him. So we're not putting ourselves in the place of God. We are just agents of his Spirit. And there may be times when we miss the mark or we don't say things completely, but God is a Redeemer, and so we trust that he will do his work if we're willing to listen and obey. And so as we went around the circle praying for the pastors, it was very, very, very encouraging. Uh, I will tell this one other story. It was very humbling to me. After the prophetic time, one of the pastors came up to me, and I had had an image as I was praying for him. I'd had an image of like a tracked vehicle, like a tank has tracks that, you know, drive. Instead of being wheels, there's a track. So some bulldozers and things have these tracks on them that dig deep into the earth. And this image that I had for him was that he's like that. He's strong and rooted and really unstoppable in the faith that even things that could appear to be uh, real hindrances to moving forward, something like a tree to attract vehicle, that tree is really nothing to the power of this force that's moving forward. So I was encouraging him, say, you may face things that seem to be terrible hindrances to your future, but you just keep going because God is giving you a strength and a power that is surprising perhaps even to you. I think that's mostly what I said. That's the crux of it. After the meeting, he came up to me and he thanked me for that word. And he told me this story that several years prior, he and his wife were fully convinced that he should go to Bible school. It's a leadership training in Bible school that the church does. It's now in their 14th year of having this school there in Congo. That he was to go there and that he was to be ordained as a pastor and a missionary. And just before the school was to start, a few weeks before the school was to start, his daughter, who I think he said was four years old, died unexpectedly. And he and his wife, of course, were heartbroken. And he started questioning, like, God, I thought you wanted me to go to school and be a minister, but then this happens. And, you know, all of those questions that can come up from the grief and the sorrow, confusion, I guess maybe some hopelessness. And he said as he prayed about it, he felt the Lord say to him, The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he said, God gave us our daughter for a while, but he took her away. And he said to me, I was really, really encouraged by that. (laughs) And I thought, wow, would I be encouraged by it? Well, actually, something's come up in my life where something important has uh, apparently been taken away from me. I might talk about that in the future, but... Amen. It's encouraging to say God gave me something for a while, but now that's taken away, and that's okay. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he said because of that encouragement, he knew that he had to go to the Bible school. He had to press on and not be stopped by the death of his daughter. That's amazing.
really, really beautiful and encouraging. And so he said, when I gave that word to him, it affirmed within him that God is doing that in his life, and it encouraged him to be fearless going forward, secure in this knowledge that God is giving him a power that surpasses what he may think of himself and what others around him may think of himself. So my time in Uganda was full of so many beautiful things. I met a pastor uh, whose wife uh, watched her father be killed in the slaughters in Rwanda back in the 1990s. They have adopted 40. Is that amazing? They've adopted 40 children. Uh, It's just wonderful visiting that family. Uh, The wife, and I'm afraid I've forgotten her name, fled from all the murdering after watching her father be killed. She was hiding under a house, and her dad was just uh, just a few feet, a few meters away. Um, She watched him be killed brutally, and then she and a friend who was also, they were like eight or nine years old at the time, they fled into Uganda and were raised in a YWAM base. Uh, YWAM is an international Christian ministry, Youth with a Mission, So she was raised there and came to faith there and learned to speak English there and then later met her husband. And like I said, they've adopted 40 kids. It was just beautiful, really, really wonderful to see those people. So the time in Uganda was what I hoped it would be, that these pastors were encouraged by the power of God. They had an experience of the manifestations of the Spirit. There was a lot of laughter As we went on through the conference time, it was over several days. Uh, Everybody was enjoying each other. We gave them a place of rest and refreshment. We went on safari. And for those who don't know, safari is the Swahili word for trip or travel. So when you hear people speaking Swahili, you'll hear the word safari in there. Just like, oh, I made a trip to the store. I made a safari to the store. Uh, Some of the people that came to Uganda had never been outside of Congo before and certainly had never been on safari. And we had a leopard that walked uh, within just a few meters of us and just walked right past us. We saw the elephants and um, the water buffalo and crocodiles that are just huge. It was really, really good. Had a good meal there in the savannah. And so this time together of fellowship of sharing in the sufferings of one another, but also sharing in the joys of one another, of reestablishing these family relationships. We are the family of God. That's just really, really good. And then three couples remained in Uganda and went up and participated in an evangelistic outreach for a friend of mine, a Ugandan pastor named Sam. And just yesterday, Sam sent me photographs of all of the baptisms that resulted from that outreach. I think there were probably 10 or 12 people being baptized in a sort of a muddy ditch there in the highlands of Uganda. So we see that the kingdom of God advances. It's constantly growing. And this morning, my family and I read a devotional that talked about how the sun never sets on God's people because his people are all over the globe. And the prayers of God's people are always going up to him. Even when half of his body is sleeping in the darkness, the other half is awake and praying and praising him. And these pastors in Congo, Uganda, they continue this work. They are heroes 
And I thought several times how when the end of the age comes, many of them are going to be given responsibility for cities. Remember, that's in the scriptures. They are being faithful with what God has given them, and he's going to entrust a lot more to them in the age to come. And all the sorrows and the sadness and the separation that death brings, that's all going to be forgotten, and those tears will be wiped away. Amen. So I wanted to share all that with you. I want you to be encouraged. Uh, May God work in our hearts so that we will not be the hypocrites who flee when death comes to our door. Amen. We need to be obedient in everything. I'm so thankful that God gave me the grace to send over some school fees. I had no idea of his timing. I was just moving as I felt the Lord wanted me to move. But he was saving a pastor's life. So let's not hesitate in our obedience. Amen. Let's live by the Spirit. As Paul says, regarding spiritual people, we should not be ignorant. We need to be spiritual people, not people who have our own lives, but then occasionally walk in the gifts of God. We need to be spiritual people. And those gifts will be a manifestation of that flow of the Spirit within us. And we need to encourage others to live that way, not just to receive the gifts from others, but to be expressions of his love for other people. Amen. Boy, when all the church is doing that, that's a healthy group of people. Walking in the strength of God, submitting to other people's gifts, sharing in the hope and the life that he has for us. Amen. So I'll close for now. There are many other stories that could be told. I do want to finish with a prayer request that Paul has. He asked the church in Thessalonica to pray for him. And it brought home to me the danger of the first century church. Remember that Paul himself, when he was called Saul, was actively involved in the murder of Christians. Not only when Stephen was being stoned did he stand there and give his approval to that murder. Uh, Later in the book of Acts, he said that he had cast votes for Christians to be killed. So he's very actively involved in murdering God's people. And he's an excellent example of the redemptive power of knowing Christ. Amen. So even these murderers in Congo, some of them may become great men of God. Amen. There is always hope. So Paul's prayer request is striking to me, especially in the context of what I've been talking about. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, Paul writes, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may be spread rapidly and be honored, just as it was with you, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith, but the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things that we command. And may the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Boy, that's a good word. It's striking to me that Paul is asking for prayer, that this word of the Lord would continue to be spreading and be honored, that he would continue that work all the way through to the end, and that he'd pray that they would be delivered from wicked and evil people. Amen. 
When you look through the book of Acts, you see pretty quickly how often Paul was threatened with being murdered. (laughs) It happened a lot. There were people waiting to kill him, and at one point they even stoned him and left him for dead. And so I end with this part of the prayer in verse 5. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all.